This is the Leapcast, where we talk about how today's current events impact your real life. If you are tired of politics or you are just exhausted from the spin, this show is for you. My name is Andrew Lieb, and every week I host a talk radio show breaking down the news from an independent point of view. We discuss real estate, business, and your health. Hear from the experts and learn the truth on the Leapcast. Personal coach and trusted attorney, Andrew Lieb. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is the Liebcast. We got Lauren Lieb, Andrew Lieb. We got some serious stuff to talk to you about. The Biden administration. Headlines everywhere. Headlines. They extended the federal moratoriums for residential evictions and foreclosures. This is what you see. It used to be expiring in March. Now it's expiring on June 30th, 2021. So a great majority federally of all of the property, residential, this is about residential property, is now not having evictions, not having foreclosures. When I say the vast majority, that's because it's only federally controlled properties like stuff that's a HUD mortgage, FHA, like it's in the federal agency stuff. There's real estate throughout the United States that's not. That being said, there's all sorts of state moratoriums as well. New York State has a moratorium until May 1st. New York State requires you to put a form in first. We're not going to go into the technical mumbo jumbo. And I'll tell you what. You might be tuning out or I might be I don't care about moratoriums. I don't care. I don't care. I pay my bills. No, you really should. No, care. seriously. Did you see that mayor in that mayor in Texas during what we're we're feeling few people in Texas. We want you to know we hope that you have heat. We hope that you have electricity. We know what's going on there. There was a mayor though in Texas that I was reading on the Facebook and he was I think he's a former mayor and he was saying the government's not your solution. It's your problem. Make your own wage. Like this is a big talking point that I see a lot. It's 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 terrible, and it's from conservative media. And maybe maybe it's going to change. I'm going to try and change it. The Leapcast is going to try and change it. There's this thing that like we shouldn't work to help others. What's wrong with you? Like no, seriously. Like you're a terrible person. Haven't you ever heard to help the least fortunate among us? And I'm not saying to like be a socialist. Don't misunderstand that point. I'm all capitalist 100% of the time. But I am saying that when someone's downtrodden and down on their luck, I'm not going to kick them while they're down. You're a terrible person if you want to kick someone when they're down. I don't think people overtly want to kick somebody while they're down. No, this I- mayor in Texas, he said, don't look to the government to deal with your power. If you don't have power, figure out how to get power on your own. That's what he said. Like, it was some terrible Well, there's definitely people that take advantage of the federal government, and that's what people have a problem with. There's people that take advantage of all sorts of things and break all sorts of laws, and they should so go to jail. That being said— I don't think that it's breaking law-worthy. I think that some people have a problem with people that don't get jobs and just want to rely on— But that's not how it goes, Lauren. No, no. no, These are people that listen to the show, so I just want to voice that opinion for them. But that isn't an opinion. It's false. Because when you want to get unemployment benefits, you have to show proof of trying to get a job. And then there's people who work the system to show Working the proof. system would be illegal, which would therefore be subject and that you go to jail, back to how we started this whole conversation. So if someone's going to work the system, in your definition, they're doing something illegal. So we both agree that someone who's doing something illegal should go to jail. Well, 
You think they should go to jail if they're doing something that's a little bit amount of money issues or criminal, like hurting somebody go to jail? So that's about sentencing guidelines. And sometimes it's pay a fine. And sometimes it's do community service. And sometimes it's at-home confinement. And sometimes it's incarceration. And sometimes it's a combination of the above. And sentencing guidelines is a whole nother story for a whole nother day. But maybe when I use the word jail, that's wrong and you're right. Okay. Maybe my point is they should be penalized. Yes. So how about the fact that if someone does something illegal, they should be penalized. But going full circle, a lot of people are probably hearing me say they just extended the moratoriums. Seriously, 70% of single-family home mortgages are affected by this, 70%. And what they did is they extended the residential, not commercial, the residential moratoriums for foreclosure and eviction. I said that's headlines. That's how we started this up. And you can read it everywhere. Moratoriums, moratoriums, extended, extended. And then you hear people say, the landlords, as the counterfeit, when you listen to media, There's two things. One is the headline. The moratoriums are extended. The Biden administration is extending the moratoriums. Then there's Lauren's counterculture argument that says, stop giving handouts to these people. People should earn their own money. What about the landlords? No one's helping the landlords. That's where you were going with your statement, no? Sure. Sure, as in you're just yasing me? No, I definitely agree with that. But you're both missing the point. Seriously, if you read the press release on why the Biden administration is doing this moratoriums, the real juice was there. So I want you to know on the radio, there's two different things going on. On the TV, there's two different things going on. On the newspaper, everywhere, media, no one's telling the story. Everyone's only telling the story. I'm very excited. What is the story, Andrew? Well, I want to tell you the two stories I'm hearing everywhere. On one note, moratorium, moratorium, patchwork of moratorium, handouts to people. No one cares about landlord. Well, that just keep people safe from a global pandemic from getting sick so that they're not kicked off and spreading more coronavirus. That's one side of the story. And the other side of the story is no one cares about the landlord and people should have to work and the workers among us shouldn't have to support everyone else. And that's the fight between the culture and the counterculture, the Democrats and the Republicans, the liberals and the conservatives. You're all missing the point, stupid. In the subtext, it said this, one in five renters is behind on rent. And just over 10 million homeowners are behind on mortgage payments. That's what it said. And what I read to you is I read everyone in America is in for a rude awakening. Have you noticed that the suburbs have been having booming housing prices? It's just insane. Come on. I know somebody who sold their house for, I'm going to say, $150,000 above what it's really worth to me. So I've been hunting for a ski house just because that's what I do when I'm cold. Ski houses so in I the areas I've been looking. For a beach house. Why the ski house? Keep Whatever. Going. So the ski house is where I'm looking. Let's say they're now selling at 500. Two years ago, they were selling at 350. You go back and you go to the transaction just, histories. No, I'm telling you, $500,000 ski houses. Whether you're talking about the Poconos or you're talking about going to the Catskills, the range of the five hundred thousand dollar house was three fifty two to three years ago. So Well, people used to travel all over the world and now they're spending that extra money on buying fun places to live. So what you're seeing is that the markets are going way up and Lauren's part right. She's part right. You're part wrong too. But uh, she's part right. She said 
they are were used to travel around the world and now they're going to fun places where they live. But it's not just vacation. People are actually living in the ski communities. That's what I mean sure, by part right. They can. Yeah, because they can do virtual and now they, they can, can work clubhouse. They can work virtually and they can do their thing and they can go and they can go to their job and they don't have to commute. And so you're getting a much bigger population growth in the suburbs and the exurban areas. And you're seeing booming like Florida. First, it was Miami. Then it was Palm Beach. I'm reading articles about Broward County booming. Like there's places around America that aren't the big cities and the surrounding suburbs that are starting to boom. And again, when I say boom, we're not talking about 5% up. We're talking about $350,000 on a house, now $500,000. Like exponential growth and valuation immediately. Let me repeat what I said to you guys again. The federal moratorium on foreclosure and eviction, we don't need to even talk about when it goes to or anything else. What we needed to read was the subtext. One in five renters is behind our rent. Let's start with that. What do you think happens when this moratorium's over? to all those renters, do you think that they're suddenly going to have the money to pay? Miraculously? Magically? The ones that weren't milking the system and saving all their money. All right. So do you think they're miraculously going to be able to do it? Or do you think that there's going to be a tsunami of evictions that happen? And then when the tsunami of evictions happen, there's going to be supply everywhere for rent, meaning that there's going to be housing for rent. And when there's housing and an abundance of supply basic economics, pricing's going to go down on the rentals. The valuation of a rental property is based on the amount of rent it's getting. When the rental numbers go down, the valuation of the housing is going to go down. Like if you know anything about appraising property, there's three ways you could appraise property. One way is called a comparative analysis. That means you take about three different properties you say, which one's like, which one's not like, how much did they trade for? Hopefully in the last six months, hopefully they were online transactions. What's the difference between the properties? And you get a valuation. That's for a residential property someone's living in. Then, then there's another one. What's the other one? What's the next way you do it? The cost approach. The cost approach is saying, if you're going to construct it, how much is the land? How much is the improvements on that land? The last way on investment property is doing capitalization rates. So what you do is you say, what's the one-year return on investment that we're looking to get? Excluding mortgage payments. And how does that deal with the net operating income? Maybe I just lost you in a lot of the words I was just saying, but I want you to focus on the last thing I said, operating income. If an operating income is a component in how much your investment property is worth and your operating income goes down because your rental amount of money goes down and your rental amount of money goes down because there's more supply, which gives, creates more inventory for, more tenant, for less tenants looking for properties. If there's more inventory and the numbers go down, then the valuation of the property is going to go down. I got another thing for you. When tenants leave, they don't leave the property in good condition. The bush is outside, not so pretty. What's going on when they're getting evicted, when they get pulled out by the sheriff? It's not so pretty. That's going to make the block appeal look lower. Then we have the 10 million homeowners behind on their mortgage. Don't think they're going to get a free pass either. There's going to be foreclosures everywhere. Foreclosures turn into evictions. Evictions have the same problem. I said one in five renters are behind. Then you add the 10 million Americans behind on... If you think that all these blocks that are booming up, what is $150,000 on 
$350,000. What is that, 40%? Something. It's like Crazy. ridiculous numbers for year over year. When you go to a block right now, you leave the city. You say, I'm going to go to Lake Worth, Florida. I missed the boat for Miami. I missed the boat for Palm Beach. I listened to Lauren and Andrew a few months back. Would you remember when we were talking about this? That Lake Worth, Florida is an opportunity. That's what we told people. No one listened to us. Everyone no, thought now we- you can't even get a home there. They will buy it sight unseen in a minute. Don't you wish you bought a house for $400,000 when we told you to? Now it's $600,000. Welcome to America. And so let's assume you're going to these properties and you see, well, when you're not paying your rent, can you afford to maintain the outside of the property? No. Well, you're not paying your rent. Of course you can, Lauren. Do you have not paying your rent? When you're not paying oh, right your mortgage? Now, yeah, yeah, we're talking about I'm talking about after the moratoriums. Okay. I'm not though. So listen to the question. I want to do it again. When you're not paying your rent or your mortgage, do you have extra money to keep your house yes. up? So Lauren goes in her little car. She drives down to Lake Worth. She looks around. This house is pretty and this house is pretty. And what'd she say a second ago? The house is sight unseen being sold. She goes to herself, I better buy, I better buy. I got to do a bidding war. I got to go above. This is a seller's market. Go, 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 go. I can't do an inspection before I'm in contract. I'll just buy it sight unseen. Now I want you to fast forward. It's now June 30th. Moratoriums are over. Well, do you think it's going to be over? Let's assume it's June, but let's assume it's not. Let's assume that we're now we're talking, it moves to September or it moves to At January. At some point, the country will go back and there will be herd immunity and life will resume. So at some point, and by the way, the longer it goes, this one in five becomes two in five. Yeah. Americans on default on their run. But I just want you to understand something. I want you to picture something with me. I want you to be there with me. You drive down that same block. One of the windows has wood on front of them, boarded up. Another person's stuff is on the front lawn. Same block. Another person's grass is really, really high, really, really high. Lots of ticks. I want you to now go on that block and tell me if you still feel like you're going to pay sight unseen. Or do you then feel that you're going to be paying much less going with a comp analysis? Are you going to be saying, yes, there's other properties that trade at 500 that are similar to this. But they were on blocks without evictions everywhere. They were on blocks without spray paint on the front of the buildings. They were on blocks without wood on the walls. What do you think is going to happen to valuations? So last week on the Leapcast, we told you about this book that we finished that we're in the middle of editing. And we told you that we're going to read you an excerpt. So I want to read you an excerpt this week too so you get an idea of what I'm talking about. This is actually the first page of the book. A few weeks back, my dear friend reached out to me about leveraging my connections to help her daughter land a house in a bidding war. This friend was my childhood Hebrew tutor and had always been there for me during my parents' divorce. We're really close, and I like to refer to her as my second mother. So when she asks for help, I jump as fast as I can. That said, I refuse to help her daughter this time around. The reason that I refused to help her daughter was because buying a home was a terrible decision for her. She was redlining her money, also known as spending every penny that she had without keeping reserves. Buying at the top of a bubble. That is to say, the pandemic had pushed urbanites to the suburbs and artificially inflated pricing in the market. 
and had no real reason to move, like for a job or family concern. That is to say, only move when finances aren't right if you must, not because you want to. More importantly, the greatest opportunity to buy real estate in her lifetime was just around the corner. I explained to my dear friend that over 10% of homeowners in our region were in default on their mortgage. I told her that government programs had put off mass foreclosures and that it was only a matter of time before the bottom fell out. I said that her daughter should wait until these homeowners became desperate and then she would see prices plummet everywhere. I explained that while I emphasized with her daughter's frustration in waiting and not moving now, her daughter must force herself to wait until the greatest purchasing opportunity of her lifetime was upon us. At the end of the call, my dear friend thanked me profusely and told me that she thought that other people needed my advice too. So I wrote this book. You see, people, that's the end of my little excerpt. You see, people, what we need to be gearing ourselves into is stopping this bidding war stuff. And I'm fine with if you want to buy a house. If you noticed, I gave some illustrations on why you should buy a house now. If you have a family need, buy a house. If you have a sick relative somewhere there, you got to be there. Go buy. Like we buy things all the time when we... What's another reason? You for work. You got to move for work. That's a reason. What's another reason? You got plenty of money and this is an insignificant amount. You're not redlining. You have enough reserves. You're going to stay there for a long time. Go buy a house. Do it as a personal thing. But if you think right now is the time to invest in residential housing, you're out of your freaking mind. What's going to happen is we learned this from President Biden. If you would read the subtext, he talks about foreclosure eviction moratoriums. And then the conservative right comes out and goes, let's stop giving government handouts. What about the landlords? Why are you being such a socialist? And everyone misses in this conversation, like the Leapcast. We make sure you don't miss it. Opportunity. Lauren, the key is... It's going to be a buyer's market in a matter of months. Huge opportunity. I was actually thinking we should have a guest on our show that really knows how to leverage liquid money right now to get more liquid money so that we could be prepared for this huge explosion, the fire sale explosion for when all of the real estate investors can just come in. When Lauren says liquid money. What she's saying to you is don't buy a business right now because if you buy a business, you don't got the asset. Well, unless that's what you want to put your money into. But that's not what liquid means. I'm explaining what liquid money means, Lauren. It means don't buy a long-term government bond because if you put a long-term government bond, you don't have your money. Liquid means that your money is like cash. It doesn't have to be cash. It could be a stock. Something that you could sell right away is liquid money. But if you're going to buy a house, for example, right now, You can't sell a house on a dime. You need to list it, go into contract, wait a month or two to close. It's not liquid. What Lauren's saying is she would want to have a guest, and you correct me if I'm wrong, to go over what liquid investment strategies you can do now so you don't tie your money up long term so you can be ready to capitalize on the opportunity when the the opportunity manifests itself in the near term. Yes. I mean, we're talking about six months to a year that you can you need that money because it's going to happen. These short sales are going to happen. These foreclosures are going to happen. We don't know the date yet. We hope it's sooner than later because we hope that the vaccines will give us herd immunity and we'll hope that everybody will get herd immunity. But as soon as that happens, life will resume. And the only thing that you have to think about is if you are ever an aspiring real estate investor, this is your moment 
You're never going to have an opportunity like this again in your lifetime. If you were kicking yourself after the Great Recession, I want you to remember those bruises because right now is the chance to make whatever you lost back. And to do that, what you need to understand is how foreclosures work, how evictions work, and how you can leverage opportunities. I keep getting these emails from people and they're like, on your show, why don't you go into the how-to? Why don't you teach this? Why don't you go over that on the radio show? And I say back to them. Well, all you have to do is go to leapschool.com and we have a school with digital on-demand trainings. And yes, it's for brokers and salespersons, but according to the law, it has to be open to the general public. So anyone that wants to learn about foreclosures, we have a foreclosure class. Yeah, it's interesting because I take most of our Leap School calls. A lot of people call our, our, our number and then they call me and they go, which package should I take? We currently offer four different packages for license renewal for the real estate salespersons. When she says package, that has to be 22 and a half hours every two years. But we sell each class individually. So if you're not a broker or salesperson, you just want to learn the topic, you could just buy one class, not the entire package. Sure. So in the last couple of weeks, everybody's been talking about uh, one of our packages that have a foreclosure and short sale class, a property investment class. I mean, these are th- this is the information that people want to know right now so that they can get ahead in a couple of months. And I'm telling you, these are people in the industry. These are the mm-hmm. brokers that are calling Lauren, and they're a little ahead of you because they're seeing what I'm telling they you. They know exactly. If you're a broker, you know exactly what's about to happen. So what you need to learn is how mortgages work. And what you need to learn is when someone's in default on their mortgage, They can still sell their house. They just need to have enough money to satisfy what's called the payoff number. So what happens is a lot of people don't get this. They have a house that's worth $500,000. They don't have $500,000 though. They don't. Why don't they have $500,000? Because they have a loan. Let's assume their loan's $200,000. If you did the math, it sounds like they should have $300,000 in assets, but they don't. Why not? You need to figure out how much they paid off the loan. Then you need to find out how much the penalties for not making payments are. Then you got to put the attorney's fees and the interest on it. And you get what's called a payoff number, the amount that's still remaining on the loan. If you take the fair market value and you subtract the payoff number, you get the amount you owe. In order to sell the house, you need to have what's called a satisfaction, which means that you paid off the money and the mortgage company will say, this lien doesn't follow the next owner. It's satisfied. It's paid off. And that's something that's filed in the county clerk. However, what happens when that payoff number is wrong? What happens when you go to the closing and you're like, uh, I- I'm not in default or it shouldn't be this much penalties. It shouldn't be the much, that much interest. Smart purchasers are going to want to be able to tell They're going to want to tell the sellers about a famous appellate case that came out recently called U.S. Bank v. Cordero. And what this case says is that a seller that has the wrong number on the payoff, what should they do? Well, it's easy what they should do. They should sell it anyway, and they should have the payoff and pay the payoff number. But before they do that, before they do that, they should put a protest in writing asking for an itemization from the bank. And by doing that protest and writing with the itemization, they live to fight another day after the closing and they can make an application to the court and say, I want them to calculate the numbers because this bank is robbing from me. We're going to spend some more time talking about this in coming weeks. The opportunity of your lifetime is coming. This is the Leapcast. Have a great week. 
Find us on social media at Listen to Leap or visit listentoleap.com. 